Good morning. I'm uh, thankful for the opportunity to get to preach today. It's, uh, it's humbling. And by the way, should I just say, you look absolutely amazing this morning. It's good to see everybody here. So somebody said that preaching is like giving birth. So I could imagine to some people in the room that might be offensive, and I understand why. Uh, but I didn't say it. I'm just repeating what somebody else said. They said, preaching is like giving birth, only to wake up on Monday morning to realize that you're expecting again. So, yeah, things are not going so well so far today. We're going to have to get together here. It, it's kind of the pressure and the love of preaching both. But uh, today is one of those days where I feel the weight of preaching and realize how important it is that we spend this time together. Humbled that I would open the Word of God to you, but I'm excited to share with you, Okay. So there's an idea that's been floating around in Christianity since at least the 1600s and probably before that. And here's the idea that's been floating around, okay? It's the idea that in every human heart, I'm waiting for the screen here to pop up and I'm sure it's coming in just any moment. There's a God-shaped hole in the heart of every person. So when we say in a person's heart, we don't mean like the, the, the pump that's beating in our chest, right? We're talking about a person's soul, the very essence of who you are. And the idea is that there is an emptiness in every person that only God can fill. You with me? So there is a God-shaped hole in the heart of every person. There is, this, there is this emptiness in every person who has ever lived and who ever will live. We were created in God's image, and there are certain parts about us that only God can satisfy. And so in every human heart, there is a God-shaped hole that only God can fill. So you say, Rick, where did that idea came from? So here's where it came from. Um, it's this quote that I have seen in print many, many times. There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. And so who is credited saying that is Blaise Pascal. But I put in parentheses, probably not. Because there's nowhere that we can find that Blaise actually said that. And by the way, while we're on the subject, why aren't you naming your boys Blaise these days? Isn't that a great name? I mean, it speaks of a great, mighty flame of fire and someone blazing a trail through new territory, so you might want to consider naming your son Blaze as we move along. So when I say probably not Blaze, you say, well, why was he credited of saying it? So let's talk about him for a minute, okay? He was born in 1623. He is known as one of the great French mathematicians. And so here's his story. When he was three years old, his mother died. And his father said, I'm responsible for Blaise's education. And so he moves him to Paris, where he is going to educate him with some of the greatest teachers. Blaise was a natural when it came to math. He loved math. He excelled in math. In fact, the only thing he wanted to study was math. And his father became concerned and said, if I let Blaise only study math, he may never learn to love the great classics. I want him to read the great classics as well. And so he said, Blaise... You can't study math for a while. You've got to focus on other things. And so Blaise Pascal, behind his father's back, studies geometry. How many of you would say, I know what it is to, behind my parents' back, study something like geometry? Yeah, I've never done that either. So Blaise studies geometry behind his father's back, and he becomes very successful as a mathematician. 
And so he, he invented things like the mathematical triangle. Um, he also invented the first calculator ever. Now, it's probably not much like the calculator on your phone, but it was the beginning to get us to where we are today with calculators. He also dabbled in some other things. For example, he invented the, uh, the syringe. So if you go get your COVID vaccination this week, and the nurse sticks that needle into your arm, and then she puts her thumb on top of the syringe and forces that liquid down through the needle into your body, you can just kind of mutter, thank you, Blaze. And the nurse will say, my name is not Blaze. And then you can tell her the story of how Blaise Pascal invented the syringe. You like that? That costs nothing extra. Yeah. Interestingly, besides being known for being great with math, and besides being known for dabbling in other inventions like the syringe, he was also known as a philosopher. And he loved to think about God, and he loved to think about religion. He came up with something called... The wager. And here was the wager. He said, since we cannot prove or disprove the existence of God, can't be proven or disproven, if you believe in God that He exists and He actually doesn't, you haven't really lost anything. But if He does, you've gained everything. And so Blaise Pascal said, without hesitation, then believe that God exists. You can only win. And so this is what he actually said when he wrote his great defense of the Christian religion. He said this craving, this desire that we live with, this longing that we have in all of our hearts, this emptiness that everybody knows what I'm talking about, he said, this craving he, meaning man, humanity, tries in vain to fill with everything around him. In other words, we've got this longing, this emptiness, we've got this craving, this desire. We can't seem to fill it, you know. He says, we try to fill it with everything around us, though none can help. Nothing works. Since this infinite abyss, this hole in our hearts, this emptiness, can be filled only with an infinite, meaning Limitless and immutable, meaning never changing object, in other words, can only be filled by God Himself. So, Pascal, I guess, in essence, really did say that there is a God shaped hole in the heart of every person. I, I kind of wonder. Um, if that's the conversation Solomon was in in the Old Testament, when, when he said that God has placed eternity in the human heart. Or I wonder if it's the conversation Jesus was living in when Jesus said, if you will drink from the water that I give you, You will never be thirsty again. And I wonder if it's the conversation that Augustine, who lived much earlier than Pascal, he was born in 354, only 350 years after Jesus. And here's what he said. He said, God, you have made us for yourself. I mean, I'm created in God's image 
God made me in His own image. You created us for Yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in You. In other words, God, I can try everything you can imagine to bring peace to me and to fill this emptiness that's inside of me, but I'm just kind of a restless creature until I actually find my rest in you, God. And so interestingly, in the book of Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, the Apostle Paul addresses this conversation. So you might remember that, that Paul is this guy who was a Pharisee, completely sold out to the Jewish way of life. But on a road to Damascus one day, he has this encounter with Jesus. And he becomes what he calls himself an apostle of Jesus, meaning I think that my role in life is to represent Jesus to everybody I can and to tell people about this good news, this gospel of Jesus. And so he becomes a missionary. And he travels like crazy. And, and he'll go off to this city that maybe he's never been before. He'll start talking to people about Jesus. They end up becoming Christians. And then he gathers together this group of new Christians. And they start meeting in somebody's house, like a house church. And he says, okay, we got a church. And he appoints an overseer. And he goes to another city that he's never been before and does the same thing. And once in a while, he'll write letters back to that little gathering of Christians and that's what this Roman letter, this letter to the Romans is about. So he talks about how much I miss you and I love you. I long to see you. I've actually tried to come and see you and it didn't work out, but I hope I'm going to get there soon. And then he talks to them about the gospel. And probably in this letter is the most complete explanation of the gospel that Paul ever gives in any of his writings. And Paul says in this passage, but I'm struggling. Because when I look around, here's what I see. People are suppressing the truth about who God really is. And they're beginning to worship idols. Instead of worshiping God. And people are settling for so much less than what their lives could be. And so here's what he says, beginning with verse 18. So the wrath of God. When you read those words, I don't want you to think about a parent who has lost their temper and is spanking their child, okay? Jesus never, um, I'm sorry, God, God never lost his, his temper. God, God never got to this point of out of control and just kind of going mad and doing unreasonable things. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness. This would refer in wickedness to people who have kind of said, yeah, I, I don't believe what other people believe about God, and, uh, and, and I'm actually creating some other images that I'm worshiping, and, and I'm into some other stuff. That, that's what he means by that. Godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. So you say, okay, how can we know for sure what is plain about God or what could be known about God? He says, well, because God made it plain to them. 
when did God make it plain? And he says, well, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen. In other words, if you really want to know the truth about God, Paul says, just look at creation. Go sit on a beach. Hike up into the mountains and look over the mountain ranges. Watch a river flow. Just go out into creation. And how can you not see God there? And understand His invisible qualities and His divine nature. Being understood from what has been made, meaning His creation, so that people... You really don't have an excuse but to believe in God if you just look around. For although they knew God, they looked around at creation, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being. And to look like birds. And to look like animals. And to look like reptiles. And Paul is saying they begin to worship other things. And they have settled for so much less than what life could be. So I want to talk to you a minute about you if you don't mind. Can you remember a season in your life? And there might be somebody who would say, hey, I'm in that season of my life right now. Where you, where you felt an emptiness, like something's missing, something's not quite right, or have you found yourself in a season of your life when you were saying to yourself, is this all there is? I mean, am I going to just do this until one day I die and it's all over? Shouldn't there be more? Shouldn't life be better? Shouldn't I be more filled, fulfilled than I am right now? I mean, really, is this, is this it? And so what you did was you found yourself trying to maybe find fulfillment in, in other stuff, like maybe your work. Maybe I just need to get lost in my work. Maybe you try to find fulfillment in, like, money. I mean, maybe if I make more money. Or you try to fulfillment in pleasure. Maybe all this stuff that I've been told is wrong and bad is not so wrong and bad. Maybe it would really make me feel really good. Or maybe in, like, possessions. If I just own some new stuff. My mother's a great lady, and I used to call my mother and say, Mom, I'm just having a hard day. And she'd say, well, go buy a new shirt. You'll feel better. I remember one day I said to my mom, Mom, a new shirt doesn't fix everything, you know? Or maybe you tried to find fulfillment in, like, relationships. If I just had the right person in my life, maybe then I wouldn't feel empty like I feel. And all the time, that we were just kind of sorting through things, Trying to find something that would make us feel more complete. God was just waiting for us to turn to Him.
I did a little uh, research online and just thought, you know, what, what would the world tell me if I said, how do I, how do I fix this emptiness inside of me? And so I just went in a search engine. That's the question I ask. And there were definitely Christian websites popping up also to get in that conversation pointing me to Jesus. But mostly it was not. Mostly it was people who dabble in psychology. And there were three things that bubbled to the top that I just seemed to see over and over and over again. And so I wrote them down. And the first was, if you're feeling empty inside and you have this longing and this desire and you don't feel like your life is complete and you don't feel fulfilled and you're living with this emptiness, the first thing was kind of touted above everything else. Learn to love yourself. Just kind of psychology. Love yourself. The second thing was, try to do things that make you happy. I don't know about you, but for me, that would be just a trip to the ice cream shop. That seems to make me happy, you know. And the third thing was, which I found kind of odd, and it feels kind of out of sorts, do something for somebody else to make yourself feel better. So I'm going to do something for you. It's not about you. I just want to feel better myself. And so maybe if I do something, it just doesn't seem right, does it? It seems kind of out of sorts. Do you agree? And here's the struggle. The struggle is that we didn't just kind of show up here one day. We have a creator. And our creator is God. In Genesis 1.27, we learned that we were created in the image of God. And so there's this connection to God that we will never disconnect ourselves from. It's innate. It's who we are. We were made in God's image. And we were made to worship Him and to live in relationship with Him. But as long as we're not worshiping Him and living in relationship with Him and rebelling against Him, then there is this something missing in our lives. And I don't think I'm imposing on Paul's words to say, not only do I read things in this order, but I think that there is a progression here. He says, this is what happens, okay? We first begin by suppressing the truth about God. Yeah, I don't know about God. I mean, I know what the Bible teaches me, but I, I don't know. And, and that kind of leads to a distorted kind of thinking. All of a sudden, our thinking becomes kind of, oh, I don't know what I think anymore. Now that I don't really believe this, I, I, don't, I don't know what I think about other things. And then it kind of leads to this, our hearts become darkened. And then Paul says what happens is our misplaced. We find ourselves worshiping something other than God. And so I'm just going to just level with you for a minute over here. Just, just here, here's, here's inside my head. It's a scary place to be sometimes. But if you ask me when I look around at my world today, and I think about the nation that I live in as we become more and more secular, I think this is what I would describe. This is what I'm seeing. I think the truth about God is being suppressed and people are saying, don't be so narrow-minded in your beliefs. And I think, I think our thinking is becoming distorted. 
to the place that a lot of people in life would say, I don't know what to think. And I think our hearts are becoming darkened. I think when I look around in my world today, I see people worshiping everything but God. And, and so here's what we, 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 we tend to do. We, we kind of in our own pride <laughs> think we can figure it out. So there's this emptiness inside of me. Pascal would have kind of, we can summarize his words by saying it's a God-shaped hole in the heart of every person. But, but there's this emptiness that I'm living with. But you know, I'm a smart guy. I can figure it out. And in our pride, here's where we end up. We turn to ourselves to fill our emptiness. I can figure this out. I'm a smart guy. I can, I, I can work through this. I can, I can, and so we find ourselves trying to find, you know, Meaning and fulfillment in our work or in our money or in possessions or in relationships or in something. And, and our lives become so much less than what they could be. Okay, so let me, let me move on from there and talk about what I believe is the solution. If, if there's a God-shaped hole in the heart of every person, and we try to fill that emptiness ourselves and we fail to do so. What do you do? So let me give you another guy. This is not Pascal. It's not uh, Augustine. This is a person who lived closer to our time in history, C.S. Lewis. And one day he's contemplating and he says this. You know what? If I find in myself a desire, if I find in myself this emptiness, if I find in myself a longing, if I find in myself, you know, this this thing that I can't feel, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, C.S. Lewis said, then the most probable explanation I can come up with is that I was made maybe for another world. Maybe I'm looking in the wrong place. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable exclamation is that I was made for another world. So, so, so what if this emptiness inside of me is not filled by a new girlfriend or a new boyfriend? And it's not filled with a new house or new cars or new boats? Or more money. And if, what, if it's not filled by the promotion at work into a better job to throw myself into. In fact, what if nothing fills it? Then maybe what I'm lacking is not found in the natural world. Maybe it's the supernatural world that I need to turn to. And maybe it's God that is missing in my life. And so here's the conclusion. In order to satisfy this longing in our hearts, we must turn to the God of creation. If, if in every human heart there's a God-shaped hole that we cannot fill with the things in this world, then in order to satisfy that longing in our hearts, 
we must turn to the God of creation. Now, I, I love what Paul does here in this passage, and I think you are going to love it too. He just says, do you really want to know the truth about God? I mean, there's a lot of talk about God these days. God exists. Someone else says, I don't believe God exists. Someone says, I think God is like this. Other people say, no, I think God is like this. Other people say, no, I think God's more like this. You really want to know the truth about God? Then Paul says, let me show you verse 20 again. He says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and His divine nature, what He's like, have been clearly seen, being understood from what He has made, so that people are without excuse. Wherever you look, he said, you see God. No excuse. I have a friend who sent me an email this week <clears throat> with a link to a sermon. thought you might want to hear this. And it was a guy whose name is Bob Benson. He lived in Nashville when I was a student at Trevecca, and I heard him preach many times. He was probably not a preacher. He was a publisher, but he spoke and preached. And um, he was kind of interesting. He, he, he weighed so little. He was this little guy. And he said, I weigh about 135 now. I got up to 145 at one point in my life, but I didn't stay there long, and I think this is going to be it. <laughs> so here he is, this... Um, this kind of scratchy voice. And he says, I remember growing up, I was so small that we would, the schoolyard, choose teams and people would get picked because of their size or their athletic ability or because maybe they had a first baseman's mitt. And the teacher would finally say, well, we're not going to play until somebody takes Bob. He says, I didn't get chosen much growing up. But he says, I love these words from Jesus. Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And Bob Benson said, it's not like one day you're walking down life's road and things aren't going well and you think, man, my life kind of stinks. I think I'm going to choose God. <laughs> Jesus says, and that's, that's, you're confused. It's not the way it happened. That's not what happened at all. You were walking down life's road one day, and God said, I choose you. I want you to come and be with me. I put that in your heart. See, in our, in our sinfulness, in our sinfulness, we have been so far from God that we didn't even know to choose Him. But God comes to us. And He says, hey, come here. Come on. I want you. I want a relationship with you. I, I want to I take care of that emptiness that's in your life, that longing. I can satisfy that. Jesus says, if you'll drink of the water I'll give you, you will never again, never ever again in your life 
be thirsty. You say, Rick, I, I want that, but I, you know, I got sin in my life, man. I mean, God's holy and I'm not. And so God sends his son Jesus who dies on a cross. And on that cross, he provides forgiveness for your sin. And God says, now, come on. There's nothing keeping you from coming to me. I choose you. And so would you bow your heads with me? It may be that somebody, maybe many want to pray this prayer with me. And so you can borrow my words, you can use your own, but the prayer would go something like this. God, I do have an emptiness in my life that I can't seem to feel. And so, Lord, if you really are offering my forgiveness, then, then I'm accepting it. And I want to know you. And I want a relationship with you. And so I'm responding to your invitation now. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you prayed that prayer this morning, I want you to know that God's grace is available for you. Or if you're a person here who says, Rick, I, I've walked with the Lord, but I've also been guilty of trying to fill that longing inside of me with other things over the years. Foolish, I know. But I keep, I keep sometimes going back to those old ways. I am stalling a bit because I'm struggling really bad here with this uh, communion element. But if you will look just under your armrest, you'll find a cup there for you. And if you're watching online, you can uh, prepare the elements that you prepared at home, okay? I'm just not making it. Pastor Timmy, if you can help me out, I would appreciate it. Yeah. So you might say, Rick, what happens when we do this? Uh, when, when I drink this drink, when I eat this bread, what, what's taking place there? So we're celebrating the presence of Jesus without a doubt. But, but when you think about what happens when you drink something and eat it, where does it go? It, it goes into your body. You're receiving it. It will eventually end up in your blood, in your veins, throughout your whole body. And so when you take this and eat it, you are in that moment receiving the grace of Jesus. Just think about God's grace coming into your life. This is an awesome channel or means of grace to give you the strength to live the life that God has called you to live, grace to be forgiven, grace for whatever you need. And so Jesus took the bread and he said to his disciples, this is my body that is broken for you. Take it, eat it. And then he took the cup. And he said, do you realize this is my blood of the new covenant poured out as a ransom for many? Drink it, all of you, and be thankful. And Father, we are 
thankful. And we pray this in Jesus' name.